He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys and Taylor Williams with you today. Jim Woodward is off on a beach somewhere in Costa Rica like a pampered you-know-what, like Patrick Cantlay said last year at the Tournament of Champions, but that's neither here nor there. So T-Dub and I are going to roll with it today but t-dub i mean quite the uh theater we had on sunday at the elevated event right and we'll get a little bit into that but uh how have the last couple days been we took monday off since uh woody was on vacation what have you been up to t-dub well it's tax season sam so uh, everyone hopefully got your <laughs> made uncle sam happy getting your taxes done by yesterday which would have been april 18th if you did not get your taxes done i feel sorry for you because what comes will probably not be very advantageous for you, but uh, I do wish that we were with Woody Sam because it got out this morning, let the dog out, and I literally about blew away. The wind's blowing about 40 miles an hour today, so uh, I think it's needless to say that no matter how the weather is in Costa Rica, I think Woody has it a little bit better than we do. There's no doubt about that. We were at the Ultimate Traber Fair yesterday, and the speakers blew over, the cameras were blowing over. I can't believe it didn't blow the RV over that we were all in yesterday at the Ultimate's Fair, but uh, by the way, that was a great Great fare, great cinnamon rolls, great lemonade, all that. Traver put on an amazing event. Um, but, T-Dub, we did have some great theater on Sunday, and we got to get to that. I know it's Wednesday, and it's probably a little bit out of date, but we got to talk about the playoff between Matty Fitz and Jordan Spieth and uh, Patrick Cantlay, still slower than Molasses. But let me start with Matty Fitz. I mean, his second career win on the PGA Tour, his first one was the U.S. Open, so really this is his first regular PGA Tour win, although albeit elevated. He became the second player from England to win the RBC Heritage Nick Fowler. Aldo did it in 1984. Now he's the eighth player to win on the PGA Tour in each of the last two seasons. Number one, let's talk about this for one second. Would you consider Matty Fitz in that elite group up there? And I know there's two tiers, but let's say that tier 1A and 1B are together with like John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, you have guys like Colin Morikawa and obviously Scotty Scheffler up there as well. Justin Thomas. Do you put Matty Fitz's name with those guys up at the top considering they're Max Homa? Like, you know, eight players to win on the PGA Tour in each of the last two seasons. I think that says a lot about where Matty Fitz's game has been over the last year or so. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, you look at the fact that you kind of just alluded to that this was only a second win on the PGA Tour, but the, the fact that his other win was that major championship, I do think that does elevate him, at least into that. As you said, I don't think he belongs in, in the Rom Scheffler or even uh, even Rory or Cantlay group at this point. So I think, I mean, you can even look at the data golf rankings as well. He's at about a 1.61 strokes gain over everyone. You brought up like a Max Homa. Max Homa's currently at a 1.47. So he's ranked a little bit above him. The guys that he's ranked directly right behind are Cameron Young, Morikawa, Speed, Sung, J.M., some guys he's ranked just ahead of are uh, are Victor Hovland, JT, and Jason Day. So he's definitely in that in that group of what what you would say that that kind of not the exact top tier, 
but I guess what would be the uh, the one B tier would probably be the way to put it. So yeah, I think that he belongs in that. And uh, you know, it used to be because you wouldn't put him in there because you think, oh well, he just he's just kind of a short knock, right? He doesn't really uh, can poke it out there. Well, now he's every single time he gains shots off the tee distance. I mean, he just absolutely pummels the ball, and he's actually not near as straight as he used to be, which is actually pretty crazy. But it's a consequence of him trying to hit it so much further. So yeah, I do think that he's up there, and uh, who knows? Maybe he can he can even keep it rolling because he was very very streaky. Um, really up until the Masters, where he finished top 10, he had missed, uh, he'd gone through, he missed like four of six cuts to start the year, so really got off to a bad start, but definitely got something figured out the last couple of weeks. There's no doubt about that, and I don't think, I, I think that John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler are the elite tier, right? And then you have to rank everybody else. I think you put Rory McIlroy in that second tier. I think you put Max Homa in that second tier, Justin Thomas in that second tier. I do think you probably put Matty Fitz in there. He has a major. And then you put Xander and you put Cantlay in that second tier. Um, I do think he, since he has that major championship over the last year, I, I think you got to put him in there. And I think he's a little underrated only because there's certain places where he can't compete as well because he doesn't hit the ball quite as far. Um, but if you put him on a course like, you know, Harbor Town, he's right up there with these guys. Well, and the thing you have to, I think the main question is, is that, is there, we, we agree that Rom and Chef are in the tier of their own. The question is, do you put like a Rory and a Cantlay and maybe a Shoffley in a tier that 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 is the one B? Then there's a one C below that. I think that's really the question you have to ask at this yeah. point. But uh, I mean, you just you look at it too, and, and guys in there like a Tony Finau, Sung J M are uh, are sixth and seventh analytically, and it's like I, I'll pick Matty Fitz against those guys. Um, but and then you well, look at the, the other guys. I think the major is the deciding factor there. And even even going up with a Cantlay and Shopway, right? They're two guys in the top five. That's well, they don't point. have majors. It's a great so, point. So I mean, it's, so yeah, I think that his win at the Country Club and really the the shot that he was able to hit on eighteen really proved that he does have the minerals to get it done. So yeah, it's uh, it's something that that a couple weeks ago, Sam, I would have said, Nah, Matty Fitz. I mean, yeah, he played good uh, last year, but I mean, he, I think that was kind of a fluke. He's kind of not got it figured out. But uh, and th- there was a lot of stuff going around too about how his family used to take trips to Harbor Town every single year. So there's a little bit of sentimental value when it comes to Matty Fitz at Harbortown. So maybe there was a little bit there because remember at the country club, he won the USAM there. So maybe there's something about places that really mean something to him meaningfully that day he plays with there. So maybe there's something to it. But uh, at the end of the day, no, I do think Matty Fitz is, uh, is a world-class player. But a couple weeks ago, Sam, uh, I was not thinking that because his form, especially with his irons, was just not there at all. Well, let's dive into this RBC. And obviously, Matty Fitz and Jordan Spieth went into a playoff at 17 under. But before we get to that playoff, I want to take you back to number 14 and kind of go on in from there, where Patrick Cantlay, number one, guns the chip. It should have gone in the water, stays up on the railroad tie, T-Dub. Then he takes about five minutes to figure out what he's going to do. Ends up actually hitting the shot. Ends up making a bogey at number 14 after his bogey at 13. Number one, let's talk about that shot with Cantlay. I thought in the situation when he's two down, I think he was at the one, at that point, you have to try that shot. But what what pissed me off was how long he took to decide to try that shot. And it was a good shot, I guess, whatever. Patrick Cantlay, there's numerous videos this week, not even of him at the Masters, but there's video this week of him at the RBC taking two minutes to hit a shot. Look, yes, certain shots like that shot off the railroad tide take some extra time, but they don't take, you know, five to ten minutes like he took on that shot. 
no, a hundred percent right. And I mean, it is a pretty unique situation, right? How many times have you ever seen a ball stop in a spot like that, and then actually have a chance Would you to hit, hit it from that spot? Up? In the situation, I think you made a good point. I think you kind of have to because remember, he was coming off of a, a pretty poor bogey on thirteen the hole before then. So, I mean, he knew that Matty Fitz was going to make a par on thirteen speed. They ended up making a bogey on fourteen as well. So maybe. Uh, a little bit there, but no, I think that, yes, he knew that the pressure was on, knew that he needed to make a little bit of a run because if he had to take a drop and knew he was going to make a double, I think he knew his tournament was done. So from there, he's actually able to birdie two of the last four holes to only lose by one shot, so he's definitely kicking himself on how he played the 13 the 14th hole. So, uh, but no, you're, you're 100% right on the fact that if it takes a little bit of deliberating and some time to figure out, okay, well, is this ball just going to pop straight back up? Is it going to honestly just kind of stay on my club head and go back up and then go in the water? Is it going to shoot off to the left or right. I mean, there's so many variables that could happen on that. But, uh, I mean, it took him, what, 10 minutes to hit the shot? I mean, I feel like you could get that done in five, right? I mean, I, I don't feel like it took uh, an act of Congress <laughs> to figure out if we need to hit this ball or not. And then he did it again, I think, on, on 15 or 16 when he hit it over the green into the little stands area and took forever there. They went to a commercial 15, break. Yeah. They, they, yeah, they went to a commercial break and showed two more shots. And then I was like, wait. Patrick Kaley hasn't hit this yet, and then that I think it was on the 16th or 17th tee they showed Matty Fitz caddy, and he's just shaking his head, looking at Michael Greller like, "Can you believe this stuff?" And obviously, I want to get a whole lot into Matty Fitz and Speed coming down the stretch. We'll go back to like 15 with those guys, but just talking about Cantlay, the guy I think. It blows my mind. It's almost like he's trying to prove a point to the golf world saying, I'm going to play slow, F you guys, and they're not going to do anything about it. Well, what's happened now is that he's gotten his name into a very lucrative list of players. I mean, you look at like what, what Sergio Garcia went through at the U.S. Open, and I believe it was at Beth Page in 2002. Yeah. Oh, yeah, with the, the New fans, fans yelling were killing at, him. They just yelling, hit the damn ball. Then you have, you have Bryson when he went through the last couple of years. You have Kevin Nall with his struggles. Uh, ben Crane went through it as well. Patrick Canley's in that list now to where every single tournament that he's go to, <laughs> he goes to, people are going to be looking at his face of play. I mean, that's what – after you do what you did at the, at the damn Masters, that's what's going to happen, right, Sam? Every single time going forward. You're exactly right. You mentioned Ben Crane. I haven't thought about that. Matt, I think that's the fix. If we want Patrick Cantlay to play faster, we got to stick him with Rory Sabatini. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, you just got to get him with someone who's just going to piss him <laughs> off enough to say, all right, well, I actually need to hurry up and speed this up. But uh, but the, the thing about it, Sam, is, I mean, obviously over the last five or six months, I haven't been detailing what has Patrick, Patrick Kaman's pace of play been like. But uh, th- th- there's no way that his pace of play can be speeding up. It has to be getting worse, right? And that's a, wor- that's a worrisome sign. No, it really is. And I just wanted to make it a point on this podcast that we are a fast play podcast, T-Dub. We cannot stand, uh, and we talked about that on the radio show, we cannot stand the slow play, especially in professional golf. I think there should be a shot clock, kind of like the pitch clock in baseball. I don't think it would be that hard to implement. If you want to hear our thoughts on that, go back to the radio show that we podcasted from Sunday. But T-Dub... Let's dive into Jordan Spieth because on 15, I thought he made one of the most clutch putts that I've seen him make in the past couple of years. On 15, he had a downhill left to righter and it was to take the solo lead and it was one of those putts teed up that I felt like if he misses, he loses the golf tournament. If he makes, he probably wins the golf tournament. Now, he made it and ended up not winning the golf tournament, but at the same time, it was just such a clutch putt. We saw the same thing 
uh, on 18 as well. But after he makes that, what what was it? Like eight feet uh, on 15 downhill left to right or right in the heart. Um, then he left the 20 footer on 16 right in the jaws, T-Dub. And then it just, it just wasn't Spieth's day. You know, like they were having the pillow fight on 17 in regulation when Matty Fitz somehow hits it left of the pin on 17. And then he basically Xerox that same shot in the playoff. Uh, but we'll get to that. But then Spieth, T-Dub didn't fly his chip far enough on 18 and left himself with a five-foot left-to-rider that he has to play outside the hole, and he just poured it right in the heart uh, to force a playoff with Matty Fitz, T-Dub. Ironically, we'll get to the putts that he hit in the playoff, which I don't think were that bad, but Spieth actually showed me something, and I think he can take some confidence from this week that he stepped up to really tough putts under pressure and made them, and then in the playoff, T-Dub, look, I mean, (laughs) on the first playoff hole, I have no clue how that ball doesn't drop. It was right in the heart if it has an ounce more pace Uh, it's going in and somehow lips out perfect speed on the right edge of the hole, T-Dub. And then on the second playoff hole, Speed just needed an ounce more speed again and and barely misses on the right side. To me, it just wasn't Jordan Speed's week. I saw a lot of great things coming down the stretch from Jordan Speed. I I don't think that he necessarily, I don't know, he definitely didn't choke. It was just... (laughs) <laughs> the putts just didn't fall, T-Dub, and it's hard to make 15-footers under pressure in the playoff. Look, I, I really thought that he putted great, and, and everything that I saw from Jordan Spieth was really solid. The only bad shot I saw him hit uh, was on 18 when he hit the wedge long and right, but he ended up getting it up and down uh, to force the playoff, T-Dub. What, what were your thoughts on what you saw from Spieth? Well, let's go back to just the last few tournaments that Spieth had been playing. The one that really sticks out to me, is the owner of Palmer Invitational back in March where he, he should have won that tournament by about two or three shots, and he just kept missing all those five or six footers coming down the stretch and really cost him in finishing fourth at that tournament. And then a couple weeks later, playing the Valspar Championship where he finished third to our man Taylor Moore. And remember, he had a, about a, what was it, seven, eight footer on that 17th hole to make it and really hit a putt that didn't even get close to the hole, which is something that a classic speed you'd expect him to make that and put a little bit of pressure at Augusta, he was a little bit too far behind. Still played in, in Phil's group and played really good to come up with their sport, but still I think he was a little bit too far back to make any sort of significant move. And, and then yesterday, he, d- he did, even though the putts did not go in, Sam, I think you're right in the sense of he hit good putts, especially in the playoff. The, uh, the first hole playoff, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I thought that putt was in from the minute he hit it until literally the last inch before it rolled just a little bit to the right and caught the lip and didn't fall in. That one was, was pretty damn crazy to see, honestly. And then even the one... On 17 as well, uh, on the second playoff hole, I thought that one was in as well. So, so yes, you're exactly right on speed where I think he's been able to uh, do something that over the last few tournaments on the on the back nine where we always talk about where that's where your weaknesses are exposed. And he just wasn't able to make those those 5 to 15-foot putts that are extremely crucial. You need to win in tournament. And while he did make a few of them this week, Sam, they didn't all go in, but at least they looked like they were better putts as opposed to the one at Valspar, like I mentioned, where it doesn't even touch the hole. At least these other putts, or giving them a chance, and I think that he keeps putting himself in position, Sam, to where, uh, you know, is he going to get a win this year? I mean, I think he's right on the cusp of it. I do think he could break through and maybe get that done, but uh, definitely has some hurdles to get over, but he's definitely shown some signs of improvement, especially on the back nine of tournaments with the flat stick. 100%, and the other thing, while we're still talking about Spieth, I was impressed when Matty Fitz stepped up there and basically hit the exact same shot on 17 on the second playoff hole, 
that he hit in regulation, right, T-Dub? And just left of the pin, probably 10 feet. And Jordan Spieth stepped up there, left to right wind, left pin, tough, long par three. And he stepped up there and he put it inside of Matthew Fitzpatrick. And I thought that that was really impressive for him to step up there in that situation and, and hit that shot. I, I I thought that Jordan Speak did a whole lot of great things this week. Um, it just wasn't his week. And unfortunately, T-Dub... Jordan Spieth was my one-and-done pick this week, so I was rooting heavily against Matthew Fitzpatrick in this playoff, and it was heartbreaking watching those putts not drop for Jordan Spieth. Oh, I bet it was, man. Yeah, I forgot he was your one-and-done pick. Yeah, that, that, especially that putt in the first playoff hole, Sam. I mean, you had to be out of the chair, just fist raised, like ready to do a tiger fist bump. <laughs> I got another winner, hell yeah. And then it just slides by, you just fall just, down on the ground like uh, like Greg Norman at that Augusta in 96. It was a, it was a $1.5 million difference for me in the one-and-done pool. But at the same time, luckily, elevated event. He still does get, what, $2.1 million for second, so that's not terrible. 700000 more than he got last year for winning. Just want to throw that out. Wow, that's a great stat right there. Say that one more time. So last year he got about one point four million for winning, and this year he got what two point one million, I think. So yeah, it was about seven hundred thousand more for uh, for losing the playoff this year as opposed to winning it the year before. That's a great stat. That just proves how the competition between Liv and the PGA Tour has helped these guys immensely. Even the PGA Tour guys in professional golf, T Dub. Let's dive into Matty Fitz because. I thought the iron play was the reason why he won this golf tournament, especially coming down the stretch. Let me take you back to 16. you got to put that in the fairway on 16. Matty Fitz did it. Jordan Speed did not do it. Jordan ended up having about a 20-footer that he left right in the jaws on 16. Matty Fitz threw a little wedge shot in there to, what, about three feet. Knocks that in for birdie. Steps up to 17 T-dub. Hits it left of the pin. I'm thinking, that is that is just the most ballsy shot I've ever seen. And then he did it again in the playoff. Ended up missing the putt right the first time and then missed it left in the playoff. Someone should have told Matty Fitz that that putt was straight. He couldn't figure that putt out. But at the same time leaving himself easy par on 17 and then T-Dub on the third playoff hole. Matty Fitz just absolutely striping it right at the flagstick and kick in birdie for him to win uh, the RBC Heritage. I thought it was the iron play for Matty Fitz coming down the stretch and that's the reason why he's wearing that ugly jacket. I 100% agree. I mean, the birdies that he made on 16, you lose to that great shot. But even the, the, the birdie that he made on 15, because he did the same thing as Cantley did. It was a little bit longer. The green had to hit a good shot up there. Made, made a really good putt there as well. It did. Then, then on 17, I think both times just did the classic example of, like, like I can't believe this putt is straight, right? Like, this putt has to break some way. Like, I, I can't play this dead center of the hole, even though if he would have done that, he would have won the tournament a lot faster than, than he would have. But, 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 Sam, the shot that he hit on the third playoff hole, because what had happened the first few times or the previous two times he had played 18, had hit the ball long, had had a little bit too much adrenaline. I think it was the, the second time that he played it. I mean, he, hey, he let's thought he, talk he about thought that he did. real quick. Why did that ball not spin at all on the first playoff hole on 18? And and he hit it long to the back of the green. It landed right by the flagstick and didn't spin at all. I, I think he probably just just caught it just a little bit too flush. It was downwind, so there wasn't a whole lot of shots that were spinning. You look at Manny Fitz, the shot that he hit. On the last playoff hole when he won, I mean, his ball landed pretty close to the front of the green. I mean, it just yeah. released. It was That's one of the reasons that that speed on the uh, – in regulation, he missed the shot long right because the wind had kind of switched on him. I thought the wind was straight down, and instead it was coming a little bit down 
and off the left. So that, that's one of the reasons it was so hard to get close to that pin stand was because if you landed it by the hole, you were going to go towards the back. You had to land it just on the front part of the green to get it up there. But if you land it just a yard or two shorter where Matty Fitz did on the last playoff hole, Sam, you're in the bunker, and then you're, you're rooting for bogey. So at that point, that wouldn't have been very good at all. So it was very, very, very tricky, a very tricky spot on that last 18, even though it does have one of the widest fairways in the game of golf. You had to be very precise on that second shot. Matty Fitz showed on the last playoff hole uh, just how crucial that was. There's no doubt about it. And the other thing about the third playoff hole, and I don't know if anyone else caught this, but Jordan Spieth on his tee shot, someone yelled right in the middle of his backswing. Luckily, he striped oh, it. absolutely. But T-Dub, I feel like we should be able to send these people to jail for doing that. This could have cost Jordan Spieth or Matthew Fitzpatrick, whoever it is, especially in these elevated events or the majors. It's costing you millions of dollars if someone yells in your backswing. Now, luckily, Spieth was very focused and hit a great tee shot right down the middle, but it could have messed him up. I feel like this should be like a felony, T-Dub. I mean, this is ridiculous when someone, you know, some drunk idiot out there basically yells right in the middle of these guys' backswings. That's freaking ridiculous. Well, and also, too, just look at all the, the, the like, daily sports betting and stuff that goes on, right? What, what if the guy who yelled yeah. had a ticket on Matty Fitz to win? I mean, and, and then he could have totally just disrupted Spieth and gave it. Just like you said. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's absolutely horrible. And I think one of these things is it, it's intent has a lot to do with it. The problem is you can't really judge that. And, I mean, I get you've had a few beers and you've had some cocktails and you're not having a good time, but, but what is the thrill of yelling right at the moment someone hits the ball? I, no, I, I don't just, understand you're that. You're just like, being a douche. Like, wait for them to, to let their hands hit the top of their head for their follow-through and then yell. There's nothing wrong with that. Wait literally half of a second longer. And, and it would be so much better. But that really wasn't the only time, Sam. I think there were two or three other times I remember where it might not have been as extravagant as it was on the on the last playoff hole because it was literally even before he finished his backswing. But there was some other times where he was almost hitting the ball or almost at halfway through on his transition and someone did it. I'm just like, man, I, I, I get you're intoxicated, but let's be a grown-ass adult here and let's wait the extra half a second if you're going to yell. Or how about this grand idea? Just don't yell at all. That would be the most uh, probably smart thing to do. Yeah, no doubt about it. That guy should be banned from ever attending a PGA Tour event again. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how you do that, right? I, I think it's a pretty tough thing to do um, to ban someone from not – maybe from that event it's easy to do. It's hard to, you know, say, oh, you know, how are the people in Memphis going to know that guy's face and he's banned from PGA Tour events. But at the same time, T-Dub, we, we have to stop this because of what you said about the gambling factor of it. You can completely change the outcome of some of these tournaments by yelling in a guy's backswing. You really can well, and, and just think about this, too. We were both at Augusta just a couple weeks ago. You, you're not going to see anything like that happen there, right? And it's no, because they'll kick you out the, right away. And not literally, that is the one place where they will never let you come back. And, and just, I think everyone knows, right? Because we were talking about this, too. That was just no trash there. It's like, it's the prestige, right? You know that you don't act poorly at this place. And you just have to get that standard set for the PJ Tour. Unfortunately... It's turned into you get some lot of drunk degenerates out there, which I mean, it's fine. You want to go out and spend your your money and try to grow golf in that way, that's fine. But have a little damn etiquette, man, because uh, as you alluded to, I mean, I guarantee you, if you had, if you're out there drunk and you go to a playoff and you have a betting ticket on one person or another, you're gonna be a lot more likely to yell or do something like that. Whereas, as opposed, if you're at a football or a basketball game, 
you, you can't really yell and get in someone else's head. It's not going to really disrupt them at all, right? Because that's, that's part of the concept. So, yeah, there's there's so many things. And I do think eventually, Sam, if something isn't isn't kind of wound down, they find out some solution about it, this is going to be a problem. Because imagine, let's just say Speech just straight chunk fat hooked that shot right on 18 and didn't even get yeah. into the fairway and had to re-tee. I mean, it would be a lot bigger talking point, right? I mean, just because of the fact Speech had a great shot after that, shouldn't disrupt from the fact that it was an absolutely horribly etiquette thing to do. It could have completely, and it wouldn't necessarily change the term because Matty Fitz won, but it definitely could have had some impact on how the, the results were done at the end of the day. There's no doubt about that. And T-Dub, I feel like some of our listeners or casual fans of professional golf might be saying, well, you guys like the 16th at, at TPC or you guys like live golf with the music going on in the background. Let's explain to the listeners and obviously – I never played on the PGA Tour, but I played a whole lot of competitive golf, T-Dub, and there's a big difference between when there's already noise going on in the background, it doesn't bother you as much because when someone yells and it's quiet, you're not expecting it, and it's almost like you flinch in the middle of your swing, right, T-Dub? Yeah, it's for anyone out there listening, it's not necessarily the fact that someone makes noise in your backswing, it's the change of noise that does it because... If it's silent, it. and, and then, because think about it too, right, Sam? If you're on the 16th at Saugr or Scottsdale, and everyone's yelling, then all of a sudden you get to the top of your backswing, and everyone just shuts up and stops talking, it's going to have the exact same effect, right? Yep, because exactly. it's just a change of it, and your, and your senses are different. So that's what it is. It's not necessarily the noise and the, the amount of noise. It's the amount that noise changes from the minute that you start your backswing to the minute you hit your ball. And unfortunately, what we saw on that third playoff hole was a drastic noise change that, that could have, had a lot of impact on it. But, yeah, it's uh, – like you said, at Scottsdale, if you get up there and you, you you see Bubba Watson do this at the Ryder Cup, right, Boo Weekly, you get the crowd going up and you get them yelling, and, and it's no different than whenever you start your ball to when you hit it. It's that, that's really all it boils down to, Sam, at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. And, and we'll get into some of that. We'll talk more about TPC Scottsdale later on in the show. Liv is going to have their party hole this week, and you'll kind of see that same thing, that guys will probably pump up the crowd a little bit, T-Dub, uh, so they don't have that change of noise. But ma- back to Matthew Fitzpatrick, T-Dub. He does hit the great second shot on the third playoff hole and ends up tapping it in, gets the win. And T-Dub, I mean, look, Matty Fitz, and we talked about him being in, you know, the top eight probably elite players in professional golf right now. We're talking about majors for John Rahm. Do you think that Matty Fitz has the ability to be a multiple-time major winner? Uh, and do you think that it has to just be a perfect storm for the course? And obviously the setup at the country club was perfect for him. That's where he won the USAM. Uh, or do you think that that great iron play and, and you know him hitting a whole bunch of fairways, do you think that that can translate into some more major wins, especially, I feel like, at a U.S. Open where it really suits his game? Well, you, you look at his past major track record, right, going all the way back to he played his first major in 2013. That just shows how, how long, even though Matty Fitz is only 28 years old, how long he's been out there. And he only had one top 10, right, going into last year. It was a seventh-place finish at the 2016 Masters. Uh, but then you look at how he's done his last five majors. Uh, 10th, 21st, won the U.S. Open. 5th and 14th in there. So he's definitely got something figured out. And I think that his, his uh, transition to being a longer player is really going to help him a lot in that avenue because he's always been a great putter. So that's something that you need and is going to be able to have uh, 
success no matter what venue you go to. But the, the fact that he's going to be a lot longer off the tee, and that's really what you need a major championship. It's not is the distance, but you also need the height on your ball too to be able to hold the uh, the firm green. So yeah, I think that he's the things that he's done over the last few years, Sam, has been able to transition him into a player who has better chance to to win majors, even more so than uh, like someone what Bryson did, right? He just completely transformed his game. Where I think Matty Fitz didn't really transform his game, he just kind of elevated it, right? He just made it to where he doesn't hit it as straight as he used to, but he hits it so much further, and then everything else in his game he does relatively about the same. So, yeah, I do think that uh, – is he going to win five to ten majors? I, I wouldn't put him in that category. But I'd be fairly surprised if uh, he ends his career with one major, that's for sure. I would agree with you on that. And one thing that I do love about Matty Fitzpatrick, back to the fast play, he plays extremely fast. <laughs> it was like he was ready to go after Jordan Spieth hit some of those shots. He was just, you know, firing right after Jordan Spieth's ball landed. It did feel T-Dub like in that playoff, obviously – Fitzpatrick, Spieth, and Cantlay played together in the final round, um, but once they got into the playoff without Cantlay, it felt like they were playing speed golf out there. Well, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like if you go walking or running around your neighborhood and you put on like a thousand pound ankle weight. That's pretty much where Patrick Cantlay was <laughs> to your pace of play. And now you've taken off the ankle weight. And you're like, man, I'm so light. I can run so much faster. And that's, that's pretty much what Spieth and, and Fitzy were like. They had to be absolutely loving the fact of Man, it feels like that we finally got out of this wash pit, this mud that we were in, and we can actually just play some actual golf. This has to be great. Patrick, the ankle weight can't lay. I think we just, <laughs> I think we just came up with uh, a 73rd <laughs> hole nickname right there. You got to play with the ankle weight today at your elevated event on the PGA Tour, T-Dub. Let's get into some more PGA Tour stuff. The Zurich Classic coming up. This week at TPC Louisiana, T-Dub, we have some solid teams this week, and Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley are teaming up again this week, and obviously this is not an elevated event, but they have a 19% chance to win the golf tournament. Second favorite this week is Max Homa and Colin Morikawa at an 8.6% chance to win the golf tournament. Keith Mitchell and Sungjae Im. That is the most interesting team in the history of teams, T-Dub. I would love to be a fly on the wall uh, with that with that team right there, but they have a 6.5% chance to win the golf tournament. And then you have the Kim team. You have Tom Kim and you have Siwoo Kim playing together. They have a 4.4% chance to win the golf tournament. Uh, and then you have Taylor Montgomery and Kurt Kitayama as your fifth favorite at a 3.9% percent chance to win this week uh t-dub i'll just go ahead and tell you this that my winner of the golf tournament this week is not in the top five favorites uh what about you no same here no just someone who's barely just outside pretty interesting little format so they'll do uh, they'll do best ball first round then they go alternate shot then best ball alternate shot so it'd be really good if your team can get off to a great start because if, if you're too far behind on uh, after that first round with the best ball, it's going to be really hard to be able to make up enough shots to make sure that you can make the cut for the alternate shot. So I think even more so than ever that the first the first round is extremely pivotal. And, and you look at how this course has performed in the past as well, Sam. Generally, it's kind of a bomber's paradise. Generally, you don't have to be that straight off of the team. You really don't have to hit your iron shots that good. But the, usually, the guys who can hit the ball a little bit further have a little bit more success at this venue. So, uh, so yeah. I, I and and also too, it could be you know, a little bit more fluky right than a regular tournament because you have two players. You got a best ball deal because you could have two guys who shoot a combined. Uh, one guy shoots five under, one another guy shoots five under. But if you birdie all the same holes, then you only shoot five under for the team. So uh, 
you have to get a little bit of a ham and egg thing going, a little nickel dime actually going on. So it can be a little bit fluky. But at the end of the day, Sam, you just got to go out and you got to throw darts. Last year, I think Cantlay and Shopley won a 29 under par. So uh, you're definitely going to have to go low if you want any chance to uh, to get this title for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. But the team that I'm really looking at this week is Billy Horschel and Sam Burns. Sam Burns, obviously, from Louisiana. I think that that could play a little factor in this. And then Billy Horschel um, obviously seems like kind of one of those eccentric team guys that might thrive in this type of format. They have a 3.3% chance to win the golf tournament this week, T-Dub, but Give me Sam Burns and Billy Horschel this week at the Zurich Classic. I mean, you just went out and stole my pick, Sam. And I think one of the main reasons that, that I want to pick this team is because, uh, for example, whenever you're in your one-and-done pools, we were kind of talking about this earlier, this is the one time that you can get a player twice in the one-and-done pool because you don't. if you've already used another player on another team, but you still have one of those guys available, you can still pick them. For instance, instance, T-Dub, I already picked Sam Burns, but I haven't picked Billy Horschel, so I get Sam Burns twice uh, throughout this year because I I get him along with Billy Horschel since they're teamed up. And also, too, Sam, I don't have to root for Billy Horschel by himself at any point during the year. At least he has a partner. (laughs) That's right. That is a great point. A hundred percent. And, you know, you you look at this team, Sam, too, I mean, or, or this tournament, I think it was 2017, I believe, where, where this tournament became a team competition. So it hasn't been like this for an extremely very long time. And with COVID, too, they didn't have a, a year in there. So I think it's only been roughly, what is it, uh, we've, we've had it five times. This is the sixth time that we'll be playing as a team competition. So it's a cool thing to see. I, I, it's not necessarily something that, that Sam, I wish they did, you know, every, like, once a month on tour or anything like that. But I do think that you could add a couple more team events to make it uh, pretty cool. But also, too, for one-and-done purposes, because the purse is split between two players, not going to get very much money, even if you do win the tournament. I think that uh, the winning purse is about, uh, or the winner's share is about uh, $1.2 million each. So uh, you look at that, Patrick Cantlay got more than that for finishing solo third last week. So uh, I, I get that Cantlay and Shoffley definitely could be the favorite and to go out and I definitely throw them out in the DraftKings pool. But especially for your one and done, you may want to, may want to hold back on throwing out one of those big names just because, Uh, When it comes to just even overall tournaments, this is about the lowest amount that you'll get for a winner. No doubt about it. And like you said, 2017 was the first year that it became a a team event. Cam Smith and Jonas Blix actually won in 2017. Billy Horschel won it with Scott Piercy back in 2018. Um, And then John Rahm won it with Ryan Palmer in 19. In 2020, there was no tournament. In 2021, Mark Leishman and Cam Smith uh, won it together. That's when Louis Eustazen hit it into the middle of the pond on 18, if you remember that leaving Charles Schwartzel out to dry. Uh, And then in 2022, last year, Billy Horschel and Sam Burns finished second to Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantlay. So Billy Horschel and Sam Burns both have some some top finishes at this tournament, T-Dub. Well, and also, too, Billy Horschel won individually back here in in 2013, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, so yeah, he's definitely got some good vibes here and uh, and also too I mean you, you see a common trend right in, in some of this like Cam Smith won this tournament twice uh, Billy Horschel has been uh, has won this tournament twice so it's definitely a horses for courses uh, type of venue Justin Rose is another guy who's played very well here in the past it's uh, but also too Sam it is just a little bit unfortunate that uh, the only team event that we do have comes the week after an elevated event which takes with that tournament takes place a week after a major championship 
So it's like, man, I don't really see how a lot of people would look at this tournament and schedule and say, you know what? I'm going to build around and make sure that I can play the Zurich Classic. I'm actually surprised even enough big names that are playing it are playing it, in all honesty. Although, uh, some of these PGA Tour players, T-Dub, obviously not on live with their teams, and I think that they enjoy the team aspect of golf, right? I, is it that simple? I think that's how they get a pretty good field. Yeah, I think that it's just uh, it, it's unique, right? It's something you don't see all, all the time. It, it happens one time a year. Essentially, when it comes to the PGA Tour, there is the, uh, the tournament in December that, that this upcoming year is going to have a, a PGA player, an LPGA player. So that's cool, but this is the only actual one where you can get FedEx Cup points for it and all that stuff, you still don't get in the, the Masters or anything like that if you win this tournament. So that's a, a slight bummer. But also, I, I think you're absolutely right. I do think these guys love the team competition. I mean, let's put it this way. I don't think Cantlay and or Shoffley would be playing with any other person, right? It's because they're such good friends that they go down and they can kind of build off each other in that aspect. So, yeah, I think that these guys being friends and like a home of more Cowboys team, a little Cali, Cali duo coming uh, to uh, Louisiana, I think that's pretty cool. So, yeah, I think that the fact that these guys are just friends and kind of want to team up with each other, I, I think just adds validity to your point 100%. Some other cool teams here, T-Dub. Uh, you have Taylor Moore playing with Matthew Neesmith. I think that they could have a pretty good chance to have a good week. Uh, you have Kevin yeah, they Twain. Finished four, they finished fourth here last year as well. There just you go. That there you go. Absolutely. And they've been playing, or at least Timor has been playing some really solid golf recently. Um, you have Kevin Tway uh, with Kelly Kraft, the former USAM champion. Uh, this is an interesting team, T-Dub. Sam Stevens and Max McGreevy, a little OJGT team at the Zurich Classic this week. Well, that is cool to see right there. Yeah, I remember I was scrolling through the teams and I saw that and I thought, man, you had a little OU, OSU kind of kind of duo going in there. So, yeah, that that's pretty interesting. Then, you know, another interesting team, Sam, we talk about him a lot, just single with the RBC. Matty Fitz teaming up, teaming up with his brother, Alex Fitzpatrick. What do you think of their team's chance? Hey, Alex can play some golf now. Obviously had a solid college career at Wake Forest. And T-Dub, I, I feel like these are some of those sneaky teams where – you don't necessarily hear a lot about, you know, the Alex Fitzpatrick's of the world. Um, but at the same time, if it just takes one hot week and you're paired up with the literal guy that won on the PGA Tour on an elevated event last week, I, I don't count them out whatsoever just because he's playing with his brother. No, I don't count them out whatsoever. Like you said, Alex definitely had some game. I remember a couple of years ago, Kepka played, uh, played with Chase Kepka, his brother. So well, obviously they play together on Live now. But back then, Chase had definitely not come out even on the scene as much as he had has now. So, uh, so yeah, I think that that's interesting to see how you can kind of just bring on not necessarily whoever you want. Like you couldn't go out and get some eighteen handicap or something like that, but you could still get get a solid player. And you got other teams down here like a Thomas Dietrich, Victor Perez. I think it's a very solid team that I'm very even talking about. You got the Nikolai Hoygaard and Thorborn Yolson. That's another team that I think that uh, you know a couple of years ago, as you mentioned to the uh, the Louis. Charles Schwartzel team, who, who is the uh, South African duo, they come out and they play good, have some good team camaraderie. So I think you could see that maybe for some other teams that we saw as well. You got a uh, uh, Gallas playing with uh, Justin Sud. That's another team who I think could be pretty good. So yeah, it's uh, it's actually I, I keep going through here, Sam, and I'll just I don't know what I say earlier. I'm surprised there's as many uh, good players playing. This is actually a pretty loaded uh, loaded tournament for not being elevated and the team content. And T-Dub, we still haven't even mentioned the best team in this field, T-Dub. They have a 0.1% chance to finish top 20. They have a 0.0% chance to finish in the top 10. But I love John Daly and David Duvall teaming up this week, T-Dub. How about that group right there? How about that team? 
I mean, when it comes to fan favorite teams, it's hard to get much better than that. But whenever you include a team that might actually have a chance to contend in this tournament, I think they're absolutely DFL on that list. I do not see a world where the old John Daly, David Duvall team has any chance to compete. But it, but it will be great to see. I mean, people can forget. Obviously, everyone talks about how talented John Daly is, and rightfully so. But David Duvall was so good. It was absolutely unbelievable. And his fall from grace was honestly pretty sad to see. So uh, I think we're past the point of having any rejuvenation in their careers or anything like that. But uh, we can go out and see them make a few birdies. And uh, just the fact they're going to be showing their faces together with the, with the, uh, with the crowds out there, I guarantee there's going to be a decent amount of people out there watching that group, which is uh, something you don't usually say about the team that's going to probably finish last place. No doubt about it, T-Dub. It's time to hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast. And when we return from the break, we're going to talk some more team golf, technically, on Live. Live Golf Adelaide is this week in Australia. They're expecting massive crowds out there for that event. We'll dive into that here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof. It is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRayRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. We are back here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Like I say every single show, you need to be going to golfoklahoma.org to get all of your local golf news. And on the top page right there, Oklahoma State, T-Dub. They have a great story on the Cowboys. They get a win at the Mountaineer Invitational at West Virginia's tournament. Now, T-Dub, there weren't any other ranked teams in this event, but Oklahoma State goes out there and plays some exceptional golf, wins the team event by 20 shots, T-Dub, over uh, Drexler. West Virginia finishes second, but I want to look at this tournament for the guys and how they're playing individually on Oklahoma State. Obviously, Oklahoma State right now in the team rankings, ranked 21st, um, have shown some signs in this spring season so far that they could, uh, you know, maybe pop up into match play at the national championship and maybe surprise some people. And the reason why I'm saying that is guys like Jonas Baumgartner, T-Dub, the two-bag for Oklahoma State, goes out there this week and wins individually, shoots 71, 75, 70. Uh, Looks like it was some pretty high scores at this event, a little bit tougher golf course, but he goes out there and wins this week. Bo Jen finishes tied for second. 
He's obviously been playing, uh, you know, anywhere between three and five in that Oklahoma State lineup. That's some solid play from Bo Jen, a 65 in the final round uh, to backdoor top two right there. Tied for second in the golf tournament. Leo Oyo finished 10th in the golf tournament. Uh, and then Hazen Newman finishes tied for 21st. Now, the bad news for Oklahoma State is that their number one bag, Rasmus Neergard Peterson, who has been dealing with some injuries. Hopefully, he's not dealing with injuries again, but he finished tied for 39th in not a very strong field. Shot 83 in the first round, then shot 78, and then shot 70. Uh, so, some really good news for Oklahoma State with Jonas Baumgartner winning the tournament, and some really bad news when your one bag is out there shooting 83-78 in the first two rounds. T-Dub, what are your thoughts on the on the Cowboys? Yeah, that's a very good point there. I think that it's it's probably more positive than negative, though, in my opinion, because, as you mentioned, your one-man plays that bad, and you can still go out and win a tournament by 20 shots no matter what the field is. I think you're doing uh, pretty well there. I mean, OSU was able to shoot 279 in the final round after going 301, 295 in the first two rounds, so definitely a great improvement there. Bo Jen shot a very solid 65 in the final round to vault himself up to T2 with Baumgartner, as you mentioned, winning tournaments. So, no, I think OSU has a lot to build on. In all honesty, we kind of – we've – talked about over the last essentially year now and all honesty the uh the losses that, that team has incurred with Chikara and Brian Stark now so uh, for them to be able to come out and doing what they're doing now is impressive and it does look like they are hopefully finding a little bit of form at the right time because we do have a uh, conference championships coming up uh at Prairie Dunes and not too re- not too far along in the future then we have regionals coming up which is going to be extremely crucial because uh, OSU is on that line stand to where we kind of talked about this on the radio show to where they they could do what you're what you're talking about potentially make a run at the match play and they also could show up at regionals not have a very good day maybe the course doesn't suit their eye and, and they end up not even making nationals we could see that or they could be right on the line so uh, still a, an abundant amount of golf to be played and uh, it's just good to see that they were able to go out and get a twenty shot win on what was what is peak die golf club so I could not imagine how that course is designed and all the trickery that is there so uh, a hell of a win for us to go out and do it and hopefully they can uh, keep this good form going into the postseason. No doubt about it, T-Dub. And then, obviously, if you want to hear about OU's tournament over this past week, they finished second in the golf tournament. Um, But they had a freshman win the golf tournament. Go back and listen to our radio show that we podcasted earlier on this week, T-Dub. Okay, it is time to dive into Live Adelaide in Australia, T-Dub. They are expecting the biggest crowds that they've seen uh, on Live so far. They have a party hole on the 12th hole. We'll get into that. But let's talk about the favorites for the golf tournament individually. Joaquin Neiman is your data golf favorite this week at a 6% chance to win the golf tournament. Dustin Johnson is your second favorite. Charles Howell III is your third favorite. And then you have Mito Pereira and then Cam Smith. Uh, Brooks Kepka is your sixth favorite. And then you have two Oklahoma guys, Matthew Wolf and Taylor Gooch, and then Patrick Reed right after that. Uh, T-Dub, of the guys that did not play in the Masters uh, that are in the top 10 favorites, you have Charles Howe, Matthew Wolf, and Paul Casey of those guys. So two guys with Oklahoma ties are in your top 10 favorites of guys that did not play in the Masters, and obviously Taylor Gooch in there as well. So we could see some uh, good play, uh, at least according to the analytics, uh, from the Oklahoma guys this week, T-Dub. Yes, and I agree with that. You probably expect that the wind will blow a little bit down there in in South Australia. So, yeah, I think that it's, it's going to be a really good test, and I think those Oklahoma guys will, will have a little bit of way to prove themselves with, with all the wind coming up. And it's played at, 
at, I believe it was called the Grand Golf Club, which is a course that's always ranked in the top 100 of international courses. So it's going to be a very, very nice venue there uh, to be had in it. But you look at look at the guys up there, Sam. I mean, friend of the show, Charles Howell III, is being the third favorite. I mean, he, he's been just absolutely lighting up live uh, really ever since th- this year started. He had the win at Mayakoba. Didn't play particularly well down in Orlando, but only missed the playoff by one shot in Tucson. So whatever old Chucky 3-6 has been doing, to start this year has been really paying dividends. And uh, one thing I think is interesting, Sam, is you, you can tell from, from all these players' Instagrams and their social medias, I mean, these guys have been down in Australia for quite some time. I believe I saw on Taylor Gooch's Instagram, he had been down there for at least the last five or six days or so. So uh, Obviously, you know, the these guys Mal that, Baker connection there, too. Mal Baker, his caddy, is from Australia. 100%. That's definitely something that, that needs to, uh, to be highlighted as well, and that's something that I think could give TG even a, a little bit more success as well. Then you obviously have like a Cam Smith, who, who is Australian, so you have that as well. Then you also have even guys like, like a Mark Leishman or, or Danny Lee, who are Australian as well. So, uh, so yeah, it's uh, a little bit uh, going to be interesting to see maybe those guys, a Matt Jones or so, see if they can come out and uh, and kind of grab the bull by the horns. But uh, like like we mentioned earlier, with, with Chucky 3-6 and like a Joaquin Neiman, guys who don't necessarily hit the ball as high could be uh, pretty good if the wind does keep blowing like, uh, like we think that it will. But uh, it's just going to be interesting to see how this uh, – how this all transpires just because this is the first live event that is in Australia, and you mentioned the sold-out crowds. I mean, they say the crowds sold out within the first few hours or a few days or so that they had the tickets out. So I think the crowds are going to be even more exciting than what we've seen in the first few live events there. Yeah, I think that they're going to have great crowds out there. I think it's going to be similar to what we see in Oklahoma in the fact that T-Dub, there hasn't been – a PGA Tour event every single year in Australia. And obviously, same thing in Oklahoma. These fans are fired up to see regular season professional golf every single year, and I think that they want to make a great first impression with Liv in Australia. Same thing as as Oklahoma wants to do. Well, especially since, uh, and also, too, you just have the fact of how great the guys played at the Masters, right? I mean, Brooks Kepka coming off second place finish, Phil Mixon coming off second place finish, Patrick Reed, as well, so it kind of added to the point of, you know, these guys, they're not just taking off lackluster just to make some money. They go out and they still care about golf and are going to contend in the biggest tournaments in the world, as we saw. So I think that has a lot to do with it. And then also, too, I mean, we kind of look at Greg Norman a little bit differently, right, especially over these last couple of years. But, I mean, Australians just absolutely love him. I mean, oh, yeah. and so that's – He's their idol. 100%, and rightfully so with how great of a golfer he was. Like I said, you can, you can love or hate what he's done over the last uh, five years or so. But the Australians just absolutely love him, and so I think that has a little bit of validity to the fact, too, of why I think there's so many people who are going to go out and absolutely embrace it. So, and you mentioned that, yeah, yeah, like, like you do have tournaments like the Australian PGA and the Australian Open every year, but those don't really garner the best field. You'll have your Adam Scotts and your Cam Smiths and all that. You'll have them go play those tournaments in the Australians, but you're not getting the Brooks Kepkas, the Dustin Johnsons, Joaquin Neiman's. Brooks Kepka's, Taylor Gooch's, that kind of thing. So, no, it's uh, it's great for the, the Australian people to be able to see these great players. And I think it's kind of envisioning what Greg Norman really wanted going all the way back to the 90s, which is a world golf tour. And that's what we're seeing at this point now with Liv going essentially, that is just it, globally all over the world. No doubt about it. And you brought up the Masters, T-Dub. When I'm listing off those favorites for Live Golf Adelaide, you have a bunch of guys that did play in the Masters, such as Neiman, Johnson, Pereira. You have Cam Smith, Brooks Kepka, Taylor Gooch, Patrick Reed. But you also have, like I mentioned, the guys like Charles Howell III, uh, Matthew Wolf, and Paul Casey, who did not play at Augusta National. 
when you're prognosticating how this event might go, T-Dub, do you think that the guys that played in the Masters have an advantage, or do you think that you know the week off these guys might be a, a little more motivated that they didn't get in Augusta National, or do you think it really doesn't have any effect whatsoever? I think that it, it probably have a maybe a little bit of effect just for someone like like Phil, right, who who had not been playing very well at all and comes out and finishes second at a major championship, so that has to give him a little bit of confidence. Kepka did win at Live Orlando, but still, he even has to have more confidence knowing he finished second on that. I, I don't necessarily think that it's one of those things to where if you didn't play the Masters, you're, you're not just saved up with energy, right? You're not just rejuvenated and ready to go. You may be more motivated because you weren't able to make it in the tournament, so that could obviously be something, but uh, I mean, you're going halfway across the world, Sam, so I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of comparison between uh, you know Augusta National versus the Grands Golf Club. So you, I don't look at it from that perspective, but yeah, I do think that guys who played good at Augusta will probably play decently well down there. And you, you also look at it as, as well, Sam, these guys who are the favorites this week. I mean, you, you can look at the standings on live and right now the, the top five guys are Charles Howe, Peter Yulon, Carlos Ortiz, Sebastian Munoz, and uh, Brooks Kepka. So it's uh, besides Kepka who won there before. It's a kind of a, a list of names right, that you go into the start of the season, right, Sam? You, you said, man, I, I wouldn't expect these guys to be at the top of the leaderboard or top of the season standings after three events. Yeah, there's definitely guys that are going to take confidence, and that's why I'm probably picking a guy that did play at the Masters, T-Dub, but there's also guys like Charles Howell who have taken confidence and probably have a little bit of chip on their shoulder, take, took confidence from how they played on Live and then didn't get into Augusta National. So I think there's a, a good mix there of guys that did play in the Masters, got the extra competitive, competitive rounds, and then um, obviously will take some confidence like a Brooks Kepka or a Phil Mickelson, but you're going to have guys like a Matthew Wolf or a Charles Howell with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, and Brooks was even asked about this, T-Dub, he said that he took the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off and relaxed after the Masters, he said, which was good for him and kind of got to the bottom of why he played bad uh, in those final two rounds. And then, uh, But he said once he got to the bottom of it and, and figured out what technically he was doing wrong uh, in that final round, he said the reality is, I mean, he probably would have taken a tie for a second in the Masters considering where he was six months ago. Uh, so I do feel like for a guy like Brooks, he's just going to continue to build on this confidence and build on it week after week after week uh, to where normally in the past, T-Dub, we've seen Brooks Kepka not necessarily care about uh, regular season PGA Tour events earlier on in his career. Um, but I think that the confidence factor, and he needs that right now going forward, I think that he's going to care a little bit more about these regular season live events, T-Dub. That's just me. And I, I think that that's kind of, uh, you know, when we're talking about how guys might play this week, I think that Brooks might take it a little bit more seriously uh, than maybe some other guys. Well, see, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking, right, is that but before, this isn't something new that, that Kepka just went to live and you expect him to not play good in tournaments in our majors. I mean, that's how it's been really for his entire time that he's been on the PGA Tour. So it'll be interesting to see, <clears throat> excuse me, how, how much effort he does put into it. I do think you are right. I do think he is a little bit more motivated. But one thing that is interesting, though, is that this is, there are still two more live events before we get to the PGA Championship at Oak Hill. We obviously have the one in Tulsa. And may, but even next week, Sam, we go to the one in Singapore. So maybe Kepka could just say, all right, well, I have two more tournaments to, to get my repetitions in and figure out what I need to do so I won't be as motivated as, as I would be for this Australian well, tournament. That then, could be the case. And T-Dub, I, I think there's three because there's live 
Adelaide in Australia, then Singapore, and then Live Golf Tulsa's the week before the PGA. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I was saying there's two more tournaments after this one to, to get gotcha. ready. So, yes, there, okay, are yeah, three, right. there are three more total. You are 100% right. Yeah, we have Adelaide this week. In Australia, you have Singapore, which is next week. Then we have a week off, and then we go to Cedar Ridge, which is the week before the PGA Championship at Oak Hill. So, yes, it, that, that's the question, right? Is, 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 it, is he going to take this one a little bit off just because he had played so well at the Masters and knows he has more tournaments to get ready? Or is he just going to come out and be more motivated? And Because if he hits his irons like he did, especially the first two rounds, at Augusta, he's going to finish no worse than probably top five and probably win this tournament just from how elite of ball striking that was. So that definitely something to keep an eye on in Brooks Kepka. But if for some reason he comes out and plays this tournament bad, I'm not just going to throw in the towel and say, oh, well, Masters was a fluke and the Orlando was a fluke. There's no way he's going to play good at yep. Oak Hill. I'm not going to put a whole lot of validity. I mean, if he goes these next three tournaments and doesn't finish better than 25th or something, maybe I'd get to that point. But no, when it comes to Brooks Kepka and prognosticating his future this the rest of this year in the majors, I'm not going to put a whole lot of weight in this tournament. I do think it's interesting that Joaquin Neiman is your favorite. He finished tied for 16th at Augusta. Um, but, I mean, on live so far this year at Mayakobi finished 11th and then 37th in Tucson, 33rd in Orlando. Uh, why do you think that the analytics are saying that uh, Joaquin Neiman is going to kind of really improve on his regular season live events than he's had earlier on this year? Well, you look at how he's done in his non-live tournaments, right? I mean, he finished 16th of the Masters, as you alluded to. Really hit his irons horribly there, but did everything else. Exceptionally well, he finished fifth at an Asian Tour event over in Oman and then finished 10th at the Saudi International. So really this year, besides his live tournaments, he's played really well. But the 11th at Mayakoba, besides that, at 37th and a 33rd in there. So no, I, I'm not necessarily going to jump on the Joaquin Neiman bandwagon. You expect with just how talented he is that uh, man, he's going to go out and he's going to win multiple of these live tournaments over the course of his career. It's just that I'm not at a point now to say, well, I'm going to pick him over a, a Dustin Johnson uh, even a Charles Howard third or a guy who I'm, I mean, Cam Smith, who's from Australia, and you got to expect him to kind of get it started figured out at some point. So, no, I just, I, I don't look at Joaquin Neiman, Sam, and think, man, this guy's head and shoulders the favor in the tournament. I think that uh, there are a few other guys who I put over him. And then I'll tell you another guy that I don't necessarily think is going to win the golf tournament this week. That's Dustin Johnson. I just don't think he has it figured out with the putter yet. At Augusta National, lost over a full shot on the greens. We've seen you know him strike the ball pretty well at Live Orlando, but didn't putt well enough to finish in the top five. Ended up finishing uh, solo seventh there at Tucson. Didn't putt well enough to put himself in contention. 13th there, and then obviously Mayakoba I just throw out because it was the first tournament of the year, and the course didn't set up well for him um, but I don't necessarily love Dustin Johnson's game yet he needs to show me uh, something with the putter before I pick him uh, going forward on live and I think the trend is going to continue this week Sam where we, we were just mentioned earlier how the, the top five really the top 10 guys in live uh, a decent amount of them you look at and say well I wouldn't have thought through the first three events they would be there and I think that we'll see a little bit but this week, because even the guys, you can look at almost everyone who's up in the, in the top five this week, and you can kind of point a hole in, in a flaw in their game. So, no, I think that you'll have some guys maybe not towards the necessarily the exact bottom of the leader of, of this tournament, but you'll have a lot of guys in that middle pack range who are going to go up and make a little bit of a move. Well, I, I, I may be a little bit more higher on Dustin Johnson than you are. I do agree. I do not think that he's got it figured out. And what I saw at Augusta, he was in his driver, I mean, phenomenally, especially on the range. 
when I was there. But but the rest of his game was definitely a little bit lackluster. I am a little bit higher on did finish seventh down in Orlando, and I saw a lot of good things from there. So uh, I, I, while I don't necessarily want to take DJ to win the tournament, Sam, I, I would be not necessarily astonished if he didn't finish top ten, but I would definitely put my money on him having a, at least a little better week than what he did at Augusta. Of the Oklahoma guys, T-Dub, who do you like? I'm going Taylor Gooch. He really putted solid at Augusta National, has still never finished outside the top 18 on live. And so, T-Dub, I feel like he is kind of one of those guys to where once he gets into that competitive mode, uh, you know, now three events in on live plus the Masters, I feel like we're going to start seeing Taylor throw some low ones out there. Um, obviously, Abe answered, tied for 39th at Augusta, putted really well, but around the greens really struggled, uh, really didn't do anything, strokes gained approach or off the tee, um, but I do feel like he could have a solid week this week. Um, of the Oklahoma guys with Oklahoma ties, I'm probably going Taylor Gooch or probably Charles Howell III, T-Dub. I mean, Charles Howell III, it just seems like he's on a heater, and and I'm going to ride it until it falls off. Yeah, it's uh, you got definitely some good names to choose here. I mean, as you mentioned, Ted Gucci has just been rock solid when it comes over to live. Just been a walking, talking ATM that hasn't necessarily won a tournament yet, but also too, he's just always there making a nice check, especially at least last year in the team competition. Not necessarily as much this year with with the range goes to and Charles Howe, who is leading the the player standings through three tournaments. So he's obviously a strong contender, but Sam, I'm looking at Matthew Wolf personally. I mean, he's finished 10th, 12th, and 5th in the in the three live events to start the tournament. So far, finished 10th over at the Saudi International. So in four tournaments, his worst finish is 12th, and, and I believe, I can't remember who was first, but I think Matthew Wolf is second when it comes to guys on live and the amount of birdies made to his first three events. So he's just out there throwing darts and doing what he does. And so if he can just kind of mediate the, uh, the mistakes and the bogeys that he's been making, then I, I think he has a great chance to win. But also another guy that we hadn't really talked about, Sam, is uh, old Abraham Answer. And from everything I've seen, I haven't necessarily seen this course played out in a full tournament, but just from the pictures and what you hear about this place, you think that, that this course would suit Abe, Abe's game as well. T-Dub, so let's get to our winners of the golf tournament, not only for the team event, but for the tournament individually as well at Live Golf Adelaide. T-Dub, who are you going with individually? I'm going to go with Cam Smith, Sam. I think that going down to Australia, I think he's going to get it figured out. I think the, uh, the crowd there is going to be extremely behind behind Cam. So, uh, saw some things that I guess that I liked. He, he even openly admitted that he doesn't have his best stuff currently right now. But uh, I, th- I think that going back home, maybe getting around some crowd, maybe some, some uh, course conditions that he's been used to throughout his whole life. So, uh, I'm going to roll with Cam Smith. I think this is where he kind of breaks through. And uh, that, even if he doesn't win, I do expect that he'll finish uh, top five and have a very, very solid win. T-Dub, you stole my pick from me. I I really like Cam Smith this week because at Augusta, putted great, obviously. Cam Smith always putts great, but he didn't drive the ball very well and hasn't driven the ball very well, whether it be Orlando or Tucson or Mayakoba, even when he finished sixth there, didn't drive the ball very well. And I feel like at Live Golf Adelaide, he's going to be comfortable off the tee. He's probably played there a few times before, and just being at home, there's something about being at home that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable, especially off the tee. So I think that Cam Smith, you're right on the money there. Uh, but I'll transition. I'm going to go with Taylor Gooch, T-Dub. I, I really do feel like it's time for Taylor Gooch to kind of contend at a live event this year. He's played some decent golf, but not great golf so far in 2023. I think that it's time for TG uh, to contend. And Mal Baker from Australia being on the bag, I feel like might help him out a little bit. 
Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And uh, I, I'm just waiting for TG to break through and win one of these live events because that would be really sweet to see that $4 million uh, winning prize go in T. Gooch's pocket. So I'm waiting to see that happen. But uh, other than that, yeah, he's just been playing solid, made the cut at the Masters. Wish he would have been able to finish inside the top 12 to ensure that he got a spot in that tournament next year because the world rankings are still a little bit of a joke. But, but no, TG's going to definitely get it rolling. And uh, maybe not necessarily my pick this week, but he's definitely going to be my pick uh, on my short list whenever the uh, tournament goes to Cedar Ridge, that's for sure. And then T-Dub, let's get to the team event. Team Tour K is coming off their victory at Orlando. Four aces for the season standings are in first place. Tour K is in second place. And then the Fireballs, uh, which is... Uh, I mean, really, Torque and the Fireballs are both Latin America-flavored teams now, um, but they're both uh, in the top three, and then the four aces on top, Stinger fourth, and then Crushers with Bryson DeChambeau and, and Paul Casey and obviously Charles Howell third and Anurban Lahiri are in fifth uh, T-dub for the season standings. Uh, who do you like this week for the team event? I I like Team Torque, Sam. I mean, when you just look at the, the analytical standings. You have Joaquin Neiman, who, who's the favorite, and Mito Pereira, who's the fourth favorite, and they're both on the same team. Then you have uh, Sebastian Munoz, who's been a second. At Live Orlando, you do have David Pooge, who's kind of bringing up the rear on the team. But no, I think Team Torque is uh, is definitely the favorite this week, just because they have two players who are inside the top four. So I'm going to go ahead and ride with him, Sam. Well, T-Dub, I cannot believe you did not go with Team Ripper, but I'm going to hedge my bets and go with the Australian team in Australia. And it's hard to go wrong with that. They finished fifth, fifth, and twelfth in their two events, or in their three Not events. Very so good, far, team... but they're in Australia. <laughs> very, very true. And Team Torque has finished third, seventh, and one last week in Orlando, as you said. The four aces have finished second, second, and third. So they have been definitely the most consistent. Well, actually, the most consistent has probably been the Singers, who have finished fourth, fourth, and fourth in all of those three events. Uh, so I expect the Singer to finish fourth against them. There you go. T-Dub, they are going to have a party hole on the 12th hole this week at the live event. Um, I can already see the terrible analogies, T-Dub, that are going to happen. And people are going to be like, this isn't even close to 16 at TPC Scottsdale. Well, obviously, it's not going to be close to the 16th at TPC Scottsdale. I think what we have to do when we compare this is compare it to what it was at TPC Scottsdale in the early 90s when they really started coming up with the stadium-style hole, T-Dub. Like in 1995, you know, it, it wasn't just thousands and thousands of people around the entire hole. Now, yes, there was a bunch of people there, but not like it is today at 16. I feel like we have to compare the environment from the beginning of TPC Scottsdale on the 16th hole to this week at Live. It's the first time they're ever trying this, T-Dub. It's not going to compare, but at the same time, I feel like it's a great idea, and when you have great crowds like they're going to have in Australia this week, I think that this is a really fun idea for the fans, and it's just growing the game is what it's doing. Well, and you can look, go back and look at, uh, just go to YouTube, punch in 1997 uh, Phoenix Open Tiger Hole-in-One, and you'll notice how that the hole looks nothing like it does now when it's played. There's not that huge, massive grandstand. There's still a lot of people there, but but it's not, not the way it is. So, yeah, you're 100% right. It's going to take some time to get it built up. They're probably going to have to keep coming back to this venue over and over again. And you have something like waste management, right? It's the same weekend as Super Bowl as the Super Bowl is, then Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, there's just so many factors that it, that have, that it has in its favor, and it is one of the more exciting holes 
that you put on the PGA Tour, which is pretty funny because it's only like a hundred what thirty yard little flip wedge. I mean, like when you go there and there's there's no stands there, it's just a really lackluster hole, and you're like, kind of what the hell is That's this? That's why it was such and, a great no, idea. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because, because there was it. nothing else there, it, and there was there was a beer stand that was not too far away from the tee box. So that's kind of what led to the uh, yep. the whole atmosphere being built. But no, I, I think it is a good idea, Sam, and I think it's going to be cool to see uh, see how it works down and live. And what's going to be really even better is if someone is hopefully lucky enough to make a hole in one on that hole, which uh, would be really sick. I think there's still only been one hole in one made in live history. It was Matt Wolf at the, the second live event. I may be wrong. Someone may have made uh, one more since then. But uh, all ones have been hard to come by so far in live. I mean, you have uh, only 48 man fields with three rounds. So there's not going to be a whole abundance of them. But if just somehow by the grace of God you can get a hole in one on that hole this year. It, it would just make everything, all the all the work they put in to make the hole look the way it is worth it for sure. Liv came out and said that there will be 5,000 fans at the Liv party hole, the 12th hole, each day, um, and each player will have a walk-up song. T-Dub, I mean, I think that that's a great idea. I don't know why they haven't done that at TPC Scottsdale. I feel like a walk-up song in golf, that's freaking awesome. If you could have a walk-up song, what would it be, T-Dub? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, you probably have to go with something Little Wayne, right? You have to get something to get the juices flowing. And, and to get it rolling. So, yeah, I would have to go with, with some Wheezy song. I'd have to figure out exactly what. I do think they may be having walk-up songs at, at the Zurich Teen Contest. I know they did that a couple weeks ago or a couple years ago, so I don't know if they're still doing it or not. But uh, as for as someone live, I feel like that's, that's what they should have been doing the whole time, Sam. I mean, you get a team competition, you could have like a team theme song as well. I definitely think that's something that uh, they've kind of been missing up to this point. Maybe something they can keep uh, continuing going forward. No doubt about it. I love this idea. I can't. I might have to text Taylor. By the way, so it's fourteen hours ahead, uh, right? T Dub. So what time would that make it? It's about noon here. If it's noon in Oklahoma, what time is it in Adelaide, Australia? Let's look that up real quick. It is approximately. It is eleven forty-eight here. So that means it would be two forty-eight a.m. in uh, in uh, in Grand Australia. So yeah, it's just a so I'm not going to say it's TG halfway right across now. the world. <laughs> it's literally on the other side of the entire planet, uh, T Dub. But we will have to see what TG's walk up song is and get his thoughts on that. That's pretty pretty fun stuff. So that means if the tea times are around noon local time in Adelaide, that would make. Uh, I mean, they're going to tee off probably. I don't know, like tonight, sometime, right? <laughs> like that would... Yeah, well, they'll tee, they'll tee off tomorrow night because it's Thursday or going tomorrow. on the Friday. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, tomorrow night. So, yeah, but yeah. no, yeah, it'll be, if it's 2, 7, if it's 2 a.m. there now, so fast forward that nine hours, so nine hours from day. So, yeah, about, i say roughly 9 o'clock our time. Okay, 9 o'clock our time. That's that's perfect. Just watch it as you're going to bed there on the Live Golf app and then, the CWT dub. Did we miss anything today here on the 73rd hole podcast? Oh, I'm sure there's something that slipped through the cracks, but uh, just, just another good week, Sam. I mean, we got a great tournament on, on the PJ tour with the team contest. It's going to be interesting to see that. And then I'm really interested to see how, how the course plays down in Australia. So uh, still, I think we finally got to the point now that we're kind of over the masters hangover, right? Had an elevated event afterwards. So just, I mean, just talk about a little bit of a, uh, you know, teeth of the dog, just go ahead and diving right into it with, with some great golf after that. But uh, going to have a live event this week, going to have a live event the week after that, then we're going to have an elevated PJ tournament, then a live event, and then we're going to have another major championship. So it's just going to be absolutely jam-packed these next few weeks, Sam. It, we have officially entered golf season, and it is a beautiful thing. No doubt about it. By the way, you bring up a good point. 
we talk a lot about the elevated events. The elevated events are, I mean, we're, I think there's only three more left after this T-Dub, I'm pretty sure. And and then because we got Live Golf on certain weeks and then it's major championship season, I think there's only three more elevated events, not including, obviously, the playoffs. Uh, so, that it, I mean, we're right in the middle of major championship season, T-Dub, and I absolutely love it. There's going to be great golf every single week, and we will be covering every single bit of it. T-Dub, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd third hole podcast and everyone go do me a favor go hit that subscribe button or the follow button whether you're on spotify or apple podcast it's absolutely free it just helps us out and gives you a notification when we drop a new episode and also follow us on social media at the 73rd hole on twitter and at 73rd hole on instagram we will be back next week to recap not only the Zurich Classic, but Live Golf Adelaide. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. <laughs>